High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome, TV dads, anti-terror squads, nuclear plant workers, and as always, a special shout-out to you Corey fans out there. This is High School Slumber Party, the podcast where me and some friends look back at our teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school-centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and the party's at my place this evening. But first, school is still in session, and we have some homework to chat about. This was your assignment, and I... Would like to see the results. First, I just want to shout out the fact that the schedule has been a little bit crazy for High School Slumber Party. Bear with me. I'm trying to catch up. Real life work has been getting in the way, but also podcast work as well. We have a lot of cool things in store for High School Slumber Party and the podcast world in general. So stay tuned for that. And your homework is going to be just keep refreshing the High School Slumber Party feed this is the opposite of what the godfather joey landasky the head of this network told me to do he wants me to be consistent with the schedule i'm trying to get there i'm trying to catch up but for now i'm just going to keep pumping out these episodes and keep refreshing whether it be on apple podcast google podcast spotify stitcher wherever you get this podcast of course your homework is to subscribe make sure you do that and if you subscribe you don't really need to refresh because you'll get it right in your little inbox what is it i don't know podcast player if you will it'll be delivered there hit that button to automatically download and you'll get it right away because again schedule is going to be a little bit weird we're going to have some surprises we're almost at 300 episodes here we're seniors so we're ending the school year and maybe your high school tenure as well i don't know it's a crazy 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 time so just bear with me we're also in the middle of this quarries lap the two quarries ah I'm not supposed to say lap. <laughs> the Corey series, Corinthians 2. We did a bunch of Corey films last year. Corey Haim, Corey Feldman. I'm talking about, of course, not, I don't know, Corey Stoll, Corey Hart. No. <laughs> the two Corys. And we started this year's edition with Stand By Me. So that was your homework. I hope you watched and listened to our Stand By Me episode. Mike Manzi, the beautiful, beautiful man that is Mike Manzi, will be helping me on this journey again. And I can't wait for you to hear what we have to say about today's film, Demolition High. Last week, it was a Corey Feldman film. This week, it's a Corey Haim film. One I'd never seen before. One Mike had not seen before. And wow. That's all I'm going to say. Wow. Whoa, whoa, whoa. The bell doesn't dismiss you. I dismiss you. Sit your fan is down. Because we got some more stuff to talk about. Eh, not really. <laughs> Let's just get to the Corey movie. VHS, VHS era we're talking about here. This is a 1996 film. And a lot of these films, well, their soundtracks are not readily available. 
So, yeah. I'm going to leave you with the theme to Demolition, a WWF tag team from the 80s, and I think early 90s. When was Demolition's run? Yeah, that sounds about right. But the song was in my head. This is called Demolition High. So pack your favorite jammies. Tell your mother you've met Brian's. Because we're about to get our party on. Class dismissed. Mike, we're back talking Corey films. Yeah. And this one, this one uh, should be interesting because, you know, we started with Stand By Me, a Feldman film, but also a classic, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I feel like we burned a lot of the classic Corys in the first <laughs> run, so I think we're going to go through some <laughs> lesser known Corey films this time. But before we get into this, yeah. introduce yourself and then we can talk all about 1996's Demolition High. Absolutely. So, uh, Mike Manzi, RHS, class of 97, go Maroons, Corey for life. <laughs> I honestly didn't think that Corey Haim was making high school films while you were in high school, Mike. I associate, <laughs> I associate him with, uh, you know, uh, the 80s, right? Not the mid-90s, mm-hmm. but... Uh, we talked Lucas on here, and that was 86. So he has a good 10 years of being a teenager on screen. Wow. That has to fuck wow. with your head. It's insane. He's, what, 26, I think, or something in this movie? But wild. Just blows my mind. But good for him. <laughs> you know, who else could really stretch it? Like, I mean, what other actor, uh, I don't know, plays teenager their entire career? <laughs> I don't... Of, it's kind of a feat. I don't know. It's a feat, but I don't think he's doing it by choice. I know, Brian. I'm trying to just <laughs> make the best of it, you know? I mean, but honestly, I just got to say, like, man, am I glad that we stuck with the Corys. Like, I've never heard of this movie before. <laughs> this movie is fucking insane. And I cannot wait to talk more about this. Watching this film and it, just doing a little bit more research, we're definitely going to have a year three of Corey because... There's at least 12 to 14 more Corey films and a lot like this one. We'll try to do half of them this year, half of them next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, <laughs> if, if they're more like this one, then then I'm definitely in it for the long haul. Because like, I just got like a booster, a Corey, Corey booster shot watching this movie. I'm glad you liked it. I don't think a lot of people agreed at the time or now. <laughs> I mean, but. Like, we'll go further into sort of production value, but yeah, this was the golden age of direct to video, baby. Like, this was, this was a, this was a moment in time. So, you already said you'd never heard of, of this one. No, man. I, I never even heard of this. You sent me a list of a couple Corey <laughs> Haim solo films because we're kind we're doing one, one, and then together if possible. So, like, we're kind of going in like a sort of pattern. And I was like, hey, man, I mean, it's, this is, this is definitely a high school film. Uh, high is in the title, Demolition High. I was like, you know, at least it's a high school film. You know, like, let's yeah. start with this one. <laughs> and by the way, we're not going to be able to keep, like, 
ping-ponging yet because Corey Haim, at this point especially, is just doing a ton of these, and mm-hmm. Feldman's like taking a step back a little bit for whatever okay. reason. Um, we know that both their personal lives are a little crazy, but especially like Corey Haim. After Dream a Little Dream, they've kind of decided to go their separate ways on film, and yeah. We get stuff like this. We get stuff like <laughs> Prayer of the Roller Boys too. You know, we oh, get a right. yeah. we get a bunch of this '90s Corey Haim where his haircuts are weird. <laughs> Every character is the same. Basically. Every character is pretty much the same. He doesn't look like Lucas anymore. He definitely looks mo- a little bit older, but yeah, it's a whole other sort of phase. You know, the same way that Feldman doesn't look like a kid anymore. He's sort of in straight into his Michael Jackson phase for the rest of his life. Uh, <laughs> but I wish, I wish Feldman needed the money and like, you know, cause I guess the reason he wasn't working cause he made wise investments with his money whatever. But, but like, it just feels like, you know, maybe Corey Haim, I feel, I want to believe that he wanted to keep working and then this is probably all he could get, you know? And like you said, they'd gone their separate ways and no one wanted one without the other at this point. So that's tough. Yeah, I mean, I hope it's because he wants to keep working, like you said, and not to feed perhaps some bad habits in his life, which often is rumored when you look up the production of these films. Yeah, and I think was mentioned specifically about this one as well, which, I mean, watching it, he seems in it. He seems there, like he seems down. So it's interesting to see, you know, maybe he could turn the tap on and off like that. Well, it's even rare today for anyone to hold the same job for 10 years, right? He he did, so he better be good at it at this point. (laughs) Playing the high school student, I mean... (laughs) You know, it's too bad he couldn't do Benjamin Button or something, right? Like, that that didn't come along (laughs) where you have, like, the 90-year-old high school kid. So every week I read the back of the DVD, back of VHS, and a lot of times when I read it, it's just really for fun because most Mm -hmm. people know what Stand By Me is about and, and other films we cover. I'm pretty sure... 99% 99% of you listening out there do not know what Demolition High is. So Can, can, I, can I make a, just a quick note about the uh, availability of this piece of cinema, as it were? I don't know about you, but I had to watch it on Amazon for free with some commercial interruptions on the IMDb channel, which, which is fine, mm-hmm. but, but, but I wanted to own it. So I went on eBay to check, and a VHS copy goes from between 80 to $300. Whoa! Whoa. And I don't, because I don't think it was ever released on DVD. So it's like out of print and they're not making it anymore. And I'm sure like a whole bunch were destroyed out of shame at one point. Yeah. So I'm not going to be owning this one, but maybe I'll like dub it to VHS myself somehow, you know, as a keepsake. Are you going to start collecting all the Corey films? Hell no. No. I learned that lesson with Cage. Joey and I started doing, I was like, yeah, I got to own them all. So he's the only one I keep buying, but everyone else I just, you know, make do. You're so right, Mike. This is the era of straight to DVD stuff and you can watch it in a couple places. You're totally right. That's where I watch it too. IMDb TV. So if you have prime, it's on there with commercials in its glorious, glorious. What's the aspect ratio technically? I think it's four by three, 88 minutes or 82 minutes or something. Yeah, the old four by three that we don't really see too much anymore. Unless you're uh, Zack Schneider. <laughs> True. Justice League. <laughs> also, if you have Roku, it's available on the Roku channel as well. So you can check it out there. 
I see some DVDs online, but I don't know if they're bootlegs. Yeah, I'm, I, I saw those too, and I didn't even click the link because it looked suspicious. Basically, if it's not on Amazon or eBay, I don't, I don't really buy it these days. But it seems like yeah that they might have released it on some mark in Australia because they all Ooh, okay. are like Australian DVDs. Maybe it's a region two or four kind of thing, which. Okay. Yeah, not the easiest film to get in that respect, but I'm glad it's streaming places. It wasn't like we had to illegally find this somewhere. True. Found a VHS copy, but yeah, this is what I'm reading off of because I couldn't really find a lot of pictures of this. Went on eBay, found a copy where someone took a picture of the back. This is a promo copy. It says promotional use only. So here goes. When a ruthless group of terrorists take over a high school campus terrorizing their young hostages who wrote this (laughs) (laughs) Corey. (laughs) it is up to one student to take them down one by one or face a nuclear missile that if launched could ring the bell on high school forever (laughs) yeah it's a nuclear (laughs) missile not just high school but the whole fucking town (laughs) more than that probably rated hard r folks hard r and at the top it says, an explosive action thriller, sure to ignite diehard fans. Yeah, because it's diehard in a high school. <laughs> <laughs> yep, it really, really is. There's no, there's and, no way And you know what? It. You know what? It, it works. It works for me. Like <laughs> You seem to really have loved this one. You want to buy the DVD. It shocked me. Like, the only thing I feel modern audiences will be bothered by is the production value. And may be distracted by the completely out of place charm of alan thick which i can't wait to get to but like just the <laughs> happiest fucking sergeant on terrorist day you've ever imagined uh, just the greatest disposition on his face at all times but yeah i don't know what it was like i honestly was sitting here going like i can't believe that this wasn't sort of like a bigger budget 80s tom cruise vehicle of some kind like i know he did taps you know which is sort of in a somewhat it's the only other sort of school terrorist kind of thing and even then it's not really but there's a big standoff uh kind of situation so yeah you know i don't know i just i was along for the ride a hundred percent i would maybe not i I would say but once the terrorists got to the high school i was like holy shit this movie is not at all going in the direction i was expecting i didn't know it was about terrorists like i didn't check anything out about it so i went in you know, Lewandowski cold, as it were. <laughs> no trailers, no nothing. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know much about this movie either, except that it was a Corey film. I mean, I had an idea. We've we've seen Corey films of this era, um, but I had no idea. Like it was a, it was like Die Hard, but early on, you get it quickly. Like what I got quickly was like how goofy it was. So like they were setting up this really hokey high school thing and then there was this completely sort of what seems separate high stakes cop drama stuff going on at action and then once they collided i was in heaven but like yeah i remember just being like what i think i even turned it off after like 15 minutes it's like i gotta i need some i gotta get back to this in a few you know i gotta readjust and then when i came back to it i was just like oh damn like okay this is this is something else (laughs) <laughs> that's great this director jim wynorski do you know him at all are you familiar with him the name does not 
sound familiar. There are going to be listeners who are going to be like, being like, you guys don't know this guy? I know his films, but yeah, forgive me for not remembering his names, but apparently I've watched a lot of his movies, so. I was not familiar with him. Apparently he's like a, I don't know if necessarily a Corman disciple, but he's like on a, he, he's a Corman of a certain generation, which just the amount of movies he's done. Action movies like this. Oh, he did work with Corman. Okay, so confirmed it yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, movies like, movies I love, Chopping Mall. Chopping Big Mall. Bad, Big Bad Mama 2. You know, I love the Angie Dickinson Corman stuff. It's just like insane. Uh, but even later with like Munchie, which was, you know, I don't know if you know that one. I feel like that's the one that was sort of a, a gremlins ripoff maybe <laughs> dude i don't know like any of these a, films. a crazy looking gremlin in a leather jacket yeah but he's done everything with like erotic thrillers yeah i was gonna uh, say like the erotic thrillers section of his his oeuvre was interesting uh i'm definitely on board with this guy now like i want to see more of his stuff at least more of his action stuff like i was gonna say I it's def- gonna take you a long time because he has a lot of movies i can't believe the amount of movies he has it's kind of weird because this is like a kind of, I feel a rabbit hole beginning like I did when I was reviewing Leprechaun 3 because that's directed by this Australian guy, Brian Treachard Smith. And like his stuff is amazing too. Like lots of crazy stunt movies early on, lots of Ozploitation films. And I don't know, I just, I just really kind of latched onto that guy for a few months and watched a whole bunch of his work. And like something about knowing that this guy also made Chopping Mall, like I, I want to see what else is in there. I mean, I've seen... But Beastmaster 2, I mean, since he worked on that script, like, okay, that sounds cool. <laughs> yeah, he wrote a lot. He directed a lot. Uh, I was looking for the titles of some of these uh, erotic thrillers. The Bear Wench Project. Okay, I might be able to skip that. <laughs> there was another one that was like, uh, of that, oh, The the Breastford Wives. Okay, no. Never mind. <laughs> no? I want to stick to the action movies. Like, it looks like him and Daniel Baldwin made something. The Pandora Project. Stealth Fighter with Ice-T. How about Ice this one, though? How about The Hills Have Thighs? Final Voyage with Ice-T. The Hills Have Thighs? That doesn't appeal to The Hills to Have Thighs, maybe, because that's a good pun. <laughs> How about Paranocker Activities? Def- definitely no. I'm sticking <laughs> with these. He seems to have done a couple Ice-T movies. He's also done some uh, sci-fi uh, network stuff. Okay. Ooh, we made a Tree Williams film. An Adolph Lundgren movie. <laughs> Cobra Gator was his last film in 2018. Par- Piranaconda was a film Piranaconda. he made. Piranaconda. Couldn't they be like Anna Rana or something? No, I, I don't know. Dino Croc versus Super Gator. I might have seen that one. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, this guy in almost every genre, low budget stuff. He must have a following. I can only imagine he has a big following. Just do, like again, I've heard of Chopping Mall. There, are, I can't say I haven't heard of any of these films, but most of them I haven't heard of. And I'll say this about this movie: not poorly directed at all. It is not. I, you know, I don't feel like it's the director. Like every beat is there. It's just it's the kind of the abilities of the restraints that they're under. I just you know, God, like what is Dick Van Patten? doing here like it feels like a favor you know like it feels like a a favor it's like why don't we have like you know michael keaton should be that guy or something i don't know like or michael keaton should definitely be alan thick's part for you, sure you think the favor is putting dick Pat van patten in the movie not dick van patten doing this movie 
No, that's what I'm saying. It's like, you know, not it's not even like a who can we get. It's like we need somebody. Dick owes me a favor. Like, oh, okay. He's, he's got a day to do this, you know. Um, <laughs> Ridiculous. Ridiculous. So you already mentioned most of the cast that I knew. Uh, Alan Thicke as the dad, of course, but a different kind of dad. <laughs> he is the head of, oh, sorry, he's the sheriff. He's the head of police in this little town. He's the, yeah, he's the chief of police. But they call him Sheriff a bunch, too, so I don't know. Well, they also call him a different last name, I think, more than once. Like, <laughs> I was, I think they might have even called him Seaver at some point. <laughs> like, I could never adjust the whole movie because I couldn't take him seriously as a cop. I mean, God bless him. He's, he's a terrific guy and a wonderful actor, and he seems like a lovely man, but like... What? Like what? <laughs> why? Why is he? Why is he there? Like it is so mind-boggling. So for the younger kids who just maybe know Alan Thick, maybe just as Robin Thick's dad, even though that's from like ten years ago, where I, I know obviously, but for our younger listeners, what's Alan Thick's claim to fame? Growing pains, most likely, and just being a musician. I think, and uh, for sure, he yes, wrote, he wrote a lot of the theme songs to a lot of American sitcoms, and I think he was an enormous star in Canada too when he, when he was younger. Had a TV show there, but really, it's like you said, Growing Pains, one of the iconic TV dads of all time. Yeah, and yeah. you're totally right. It's hard for him to escape that, <laughs> um, but he is a dad in this, so. I don't know. I was never afraid of him necessarily or like, not that I was supposed to, but he just seems like the lines in this movie can be a little corny at times. And when delivered by, when delivered by Alan Thicke, I don't necessarily mean he's doing a bad job. They just remind me of the dad from Growing Pains when he's saying that. Like the movie literally ends with, oh, kids, like one of those kind of things. I I was just going to say, like greatest not only one of the greatest final lines of any movie ever, but <laughs> the most beautiful delivery. Like, have you ever heard anyone look at the camera and honestly just go, <laughs> kids? It's exactly like the intro to Growing Pains where, uh, you know, I'm not going to sing the song, but it's in my head. And then, like, it ends with all them, like, kind of running into the house and he, like, lingers a little bit and looks at the camera and then runs in yeah. himself. It's exactly like that, you know? Like, like it has that feeling, which is weird because this is a movie where a lot of shit blows up. A lot of people get shot. There's Uzis. There's, you know, a lot of gunplay in this movie. And people it's a hard die. People die. So many people die. <laughs> His son, Lenny, played by Corey, just murders people with gruesome, twisted <laughs> MacGyver-esque type fucking murders it you know what it reminded me of in a class of 1984 because he starts going from like shop class to like ceramics and like the art room and killing them with like with the items in those rooms it's oh my god it's yeah yeah <laughs> we'll get to Corey in a moment though you also mentioned dick van patten as a, a random general in this uh legend of course legend of comedy interesting to see him here <laughs> also also a historic sitcom father right eight, eight is enough eight Wasn't is enough him? yeah eight is enough so there you go i always remember him in Spaceballs. like i think that's where i first like uh oh 
<laughs> as the uh, king of Druidia. Yeah, that's where I first like noticed him as a kid. And I think he's in Robin Hood, Man in Tights. Oh, I'm sure him and Mel Brooks were, you know, thick as thieves. Definitely. Same same generation or whatever. There was a couple of other people I recognized. Yeah. The main bad guy, Luther, he's played by a guy named Jeff Kober. Uh, did you know this guy? So... I'm look. I'm looking at his work, and like I don't know a thing that he's done, but I know him from everything. Like I just feel like I've grown up watching this guy on television. Like that he's done little bits of things here and there, or you know, was on every show ever as a guest spot or something. Uh, so like I definitely recognized him, and I, I thought he was doing a great job uh, as like the lead bad guy. Because usually this is the kind of actor who, or not the kind of actor, but this guy, unfortunately, like I feel like throughout his career has been like one of the henchmen more often than sort of kind of the leader and he's doing a great job apparently he had a big arc in walking dead and in sons of anarchy as well so maybe people will recognize him from that oh okay i don't watch those there's a lot of people in this movie that were also like regulars for this director so if you're a fan of this director you'd probably recognize them we are not scholars of this director so we're probably not going to recognize them as much so, Mike, who did you recognize in this film, maybe that I missed? So, I know you you definitely know their faces, like we've been saying, but the one big guy is, I think he was the principal, or Mr. Vogel, Garrett Graham. I love this guy. I mean, his. I think the big thing he might be known at 1.4 was Phantom of the Paradise. Um, he, a Terror Vision, one of my all-time oh, yeah. favorite ever. He's the father in that movie. It is just spectacular chud too but the chud i mean child's play too used car like he's he's been he's a big working actor i really like that guy awesome yeah like uh, he, he looked familiar a couple yeah. other people looked familiar too like uh-huh. the dude who's in charge of the sniper team looked familiar to me yeah and early on is that bum from back to the future buck flower oh yeah <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. they live yeah <laughs> that guy i've seen in a lot of places you know who, like, really stood out of this movie? And they use her on, like, almost all the promo art? is an actress named Melissa Brazell. She plays Tanya, which is, like, just the badass chick in oh, this movie. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. That was cool. I mean, she just kind of, like, at first, I don't know, you, wait, they were sort of, like, plotting at one point to, like, take all the, take it, take all the money and run. Um, and then she has like a couple badass moments towards the end but i was like when is she gonna kick ass and then, like she finally gets unleashed and like roams the halls looking for Corey. i was like all right yeah she's super cool um do you know who dugan was in the movie i uh, that was the fbi agent i believe oh okay okay yeah she's in apparently a lot of stuff too like she has a lot on her imdb but it's also it's like Puppet Master for Ghoulies yeah, Five, yeah, a couple of trancers, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's a lot in like that era, so who knows? <laughs> um, was there anyone else you recognized, or? Uh, yeah, there was one more guy that's he had a he was the security guard at the high school, Peter Spellos. I don't really, again, another guy that I just see pop up a lot in horror. There's one particular image of him that I, oh, man, if I could, I just can't remember like the main thing I know him from, but I know I knew him from something that was like really scary at one point. Oh, I uh, maybe it was a Friday the 13th movie or something, but yeah, he's been around. 
Hmm. Yeah, he his face looked familiar too. There was a lot of that for me today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I almost wonder is this like was this a Canadian production or these all like Canadian actors? I don't, I don't know. Well, we know that Corey Haim and Alan Thicke are so. Yeah. So. Maybe. And speaking of Corey Haim, you know, we have to talk about him a little. One of the only, like, production notes that I could find was the director talking about Corey Haim on set. And let me just read the direct quote from him. Corey Haim was a nice kid who was totally fucked up in the head. You could see the path he was going down even then. I wish I could have turned him around, but I had to have a paid babysitter with him at all times. Believe it or not, he had to have a babysitter. The kid was in his early 20s and still didn't have it figured out yet, which is super sad. You know, but he was able to put in a vintage Corey Haim performance. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, I couldn't tell on screen. It's not like, I don't know. It's not like sometimes when you find out that actors were wasted on set and then you watch the movie and you're like, oh, that that scene or that delivery, like maybe that's the, the time when he was wasted and like or something. But like... Yeah, he seemed really good. Not, I mean, he seemed, you know, as good as he could be. Like, I thought he was fine. I thought he was fine. Like, I thought it was a fun performance. He was doing, like, all of his little one-liners to the camera and things like that. But they were like, you know, oh, man, I just moved here. I can't believe this is happening. Like, but no one's around to hear him. <laughs> it's like, oh, he's talking to himself. Like, I feel like that's very Corey, uh, like Corey Haim. But it's also very diehard. You have to admit that. Oh, Absolutely. Well, that's the other thing. I feel like his persona, his like attitude, like his characterization and stuff. Like, I feel like it fit fit really well into this type of movie. Like, the, like I kind of not that I bought him as like what do they call him, Bronx boy? Uh, he moved from the Bronx and stuff. But I don't know. Like, I, I thought I thought that it was a fun role for him. I thought he did well as like the wisecracking younger John McClane type kind of dude you know that the troublemaker who isn't really a troublemaker but knows all the angles and you know quick-witted things on his feet like it's a really pretty well-written role all things considered so you know he he did a well job of bringing it to life it's a weird film in a sense too that yeah i agree with everything you're saying but i don't know when like the ideal time or era for this would have been to come out right like maybe when he was a little bit younger it certainly couldn't come out today because we really really frown on school shootings and and i know it's not a student doing it but guns in school we don't see that too much these days yeah and domestic and domestic terrorism for sure you know that's that's a very bigger much bigger thing uh, but you know what else is crazy, too? Because my mind got scrambled so hard at one point because this movie's 96. And, you know, the Slaters, uh, <laughs> Alan Thicke and Corey Haim, they moved to this town from New York City because the mom died in the original World Trade Center attack. Is that what happened? They mentioned World Trade Center. They, they- mentioned a bomb. And it's 1996. So I, you know, the whole time I wrote down like 9-11 because, I, you know, my, I'm an idiot. But, at, you know, afterwards I was like, oh, no, there was the, the previous attack. But I don't I don't know what was going on with that. That was just so unnecessary for their backstory. Like, why couldn't they just gotten transferred because he was a bad student is beyond me. 
Yeah, I don't know. We see this a lot in high school films where they have to have one parent be already passed away. It was a little interesting. I liked the fact that they moved from New York. It's almost like Jaws-esque, right? Like move from a big city where the crazy things are happening to be kind of a cop in a, in a smaller town and nothing's going to ever happen here. But guess what? It happens, right? We've seen this before, but I, I like that. Yeah, yeah. The j- name dropping of the World Trade Center is interesting. You're right. They're, they're citing the 1993 attack. They don't really say that the mom necessarily died there, but it's, it is implied that like he was a cop in New York City. That happened. They say he served there, and we know the mom had passed away. You have to think it's somehow linked in this movie, but weird. <laughs> it's so weird because... Are they just trying to link some kind of like terrorist experience thing? You know, like like that would have been fine if he was like, you know, I failed that day, you know, and now I'll never let a terrorist like <laughs> like get the best of me or something. I don't know, like something, but it just adds to the bizarre quality of this amazing movie. <laughs> it's just so fucked up. And off the bat, they don't tell you necessarily that the father, Alan Thick, and the son are related. Him, you know, right? There's implications here, there, and then they're they finally give the breadcrumbs. And you're like, oh, okay. So it's kind of a just starts out as a story of just new kid in town getting bullied for his name, which is so dumb. They're like, Lenny, what is that short for? Leonard or <laughs> Lenny the Lesbo? And he's like, and where are you from? The Bronx. Like, it's just like funny. Hi. Let me guess, the, the Mayfield uh, Ballet Club. <laughs> what are you, a wise-ass new guy? No, no, Lenny, Lenny Slater, how you doing? <laughs> Lenny? Well, that sounds like a real wuss name to me. So, Lenny, what's that short for, huh? Leonard. <laughs> <laughs> Lenny the Lesbo. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that one. You guys must be off uh, from the Literary Society, huh? Where are you from, Leonard? I told you it was Lenny from the Bronx. The Bronx? New York? Oh, New York? oh, big city boy. Tough guy, huh? Not especially. What's that supposed to mean? Are you writing a book? Yeah, maybe I am. You'll leave that chapter out. Hey, what, are you gonna take that shit? Kick his pussy ass! Oh, now you gotta kick my ass. No, oh, man. Hey, come on, get some New York. No. <laughs> Do you think his last name is Slater to cash in on, like, some Christian Slater thing (laughs) maybe that's what i was thinking too i was like the whole time i was like he's making me think of christian slater (laughs) uh and how much better he might have been in this like eight years ago and i mentioned uh his hair but oh my god we have to talk about it we have to spend some time on it what is look the look is wild how would you describe his look hmm i'd say mtv grunge like a like a MTV stylist who has no idea what's going on and was like grabbed off the set of like Yo MTV Raps and thrown to what was that show 120 minutes or something like it was the really long grunge show like Sunday nights and it was just like redress them because it is oh my god so he's not the only one wearing this and it's like a denim sleeveless or like a at least like a half sleeve denim shirt he's got all sorts of rings and, and necklace things going on and like a orange bowl cut. Would you say it's a bowl cut of some type? It's a bowl cut where the sides are completely shaved. 
Yeah, yeah. He he looks insane. Like he looks like a like a maniac. And and he's thicker too. Like he again, this is not Lucas. Like I'm not saying he's fat or out of shape. He looks like he can kick more ass than he did even five or six years before this. Yeah, I mean, he looks like a college kid. Like definitely. I didn't buy high school really from him. Like I don't wanna skip to the awards or anything. But <laughs> you know, I think we have a winner here. I don't know though, because his like that almost didn't matter once things sort of started playing out because he still has like that sensibility. Like he'll always sort of be like that kid at heart on screen and that's what I got from it. So I, I feel like he's not a big issue for me in this movie as far as like one of the problems. No, but I mean, his look is worth pointing out and the looks of the other characters. Uh, You're right. It's definitely influenced by grunge. This VHS era in the 90s confuses me so much because like by quality, my brain associates it with the 80s. But then like the characters on screen look very 90s. And like I said, I just get like confused, you know? Um, Yeah. Oh, also like it's not even just like the clothes and things, but... I don't know if you noticed the size of the cell phones that they're using. Yeah. And at one point, two adults are using cell phones next to each other to communicate with someone in the in the school. And like it takes up like the space of a third head or something. It's in, it's incredible. The other thing I noticed from the beginning that I found hilarious. Would, would you clock it at like a, an hour, 20 minutes, the film, something like that? Yeah. Yeah. With credits. And the credits, though, at the beginning is just like fire. Like there's like three or four yeah. minutes of fire, <laughs> like it, it's like those early effects you could buy like a bundle of licensed effects. I remember I got a couple when I first got into like digital effects and and editing and things, and it's just like yeah, it's just like you put a fire background <laughs> and you just <laughs> your text on top of it. And you and I watched this on IMDb TV with the commercials. So in actuality, like this movie probably is super quick when you watch it even quicker than we experience today yeah and it doesn't drag so i'm with you there it definitely does not drag like it's an easy watch in that respect anything in the earlier scenes before i guess like the terrorists really start showing up uh that really stuck out to you okay so i found a couple notes on the kind of fun and games setting up the high school and the the kind of relationships between Corey and the bully and the girl and everybody. Well, you mentioned he's at his locker and they kind of, they try to bully him and they want to fight, but he like dodges all their fists and the one guy ends up punching his friend out. (laughs) Yeah. There's that. And then there's like the basketball stuff. Do you remember? Like they're all like shooting hoops. And then there's the stuff in the locker room where they're peeping on the girls. What was that about? That's so weird because I thought since this was a straight to DVD movie and it was clear that it was rated R, that we were going to get some nudity. No nudity, but made up for it with like the incredible amounts of violence. Oh, for sure. But you would think that this director who's doing skimpy movies and stuff like that would have thrown it in. I'm not saying I was looking for it. I was just surprised to see this locker room scene where they're peeping at the girls, which is, by the way, if you're going to design a high school locker room, don't make it like that. The only dividing line between the girls' locker room and the boys' locker room is just the locker. So if you stand over the lockers, you could see. Yeah, they share a wall. It's not even, it's like a half wall. <laughs> <laughs> and it's shot in a way that it's like, you know, 
architecturally impossible. It's like the high school from The Shining or something where like, you know, <laughs> the, or like the Ghostbusters, like some kind of madman designed this high school where like, you know what I'm saying? Like the, the shot was weird because one shot is them peering over the boys locker and it's clearly cut to them looking over, you know, something they designed to make it make sense. So, uh, but that was all just like set up to build the like dynamics between Corey and everyone else on his first day of school. Well, but I, I mention it because, well, so the, the bad guys, right? Like look over and they're looking at the girls and then they stop. Then Corey jumps over and starts looking at the girls and he's supposed to be our hero. And then later in the movie, he's blaming them. I don't know if you noticed. He's yeah. like, you got me in trouble because with your stunt in the girls' locker room. It's like, no, Corey, you did that yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So he gets caught, and that's the reason that he's kind of staying later at school because he has detention. It's also the reason why he discovers that the principal has a gun because he confiscated it and he kept it, which he uses later. So a lot of, like, li little plants here for stuff later. As well as a, as a, a butterfly knife that he finds later on. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I'm sitting here wondering now, because it totally, like, now my brain isn't even in a spot where, like, when you said there's no nudity, it never even occurred to me. But I almost wonder if that was, like, a... I almost wonder if that was like a they were going for maybe like a younger audience kind of thing. Oh, maybe. But then they maybe. would, but then they would add more nudity. So now I'm wondering if like is this supposed to be you know in the in the tradition of Die Hard, there's no nudity in that movie. It's you know what I mean. Like this is just a hundred percent Steven Seagal style glorified action stuff. Yeah, I mean maybe it de it definitely feels that way, right? Like it definitely feels like that's what they're focusing on. Yeah, guns, yeah. violence. Action. deaths like like <laughs> like horror movie deaths like talk about chopping mall like now it now it makes sense but they're not outrageous in a sense like what do you mean they're not outrageous well hear me out hear me out in horror movies and sometimes i don't like it, i know people do you see blood splatter everywhere like to crazy proportions and stuff like that you know okay i don't think it's particularly gory in that sense it's just violent to me it's just like again action movies yes it's not like a body popping out of someone's stomach or something, you know? Well, okay, but but it's like Paul Verhoeven violence. This is like RoboCop. Yes. Or like, you know, uh, if I may, uh, well, first of all, the squibs are incredible. These are like old school squibs and people get shot a lot with machine guns and people are just firing guns to get people's attention and there's unlimited bullets. It's like that kind of stuff, which is like super incredible. But like Corey sets a guy on fire. He has this, I don't know where he got this idea. They go into the one room and he puts the like the varnish on the floor and the guy runs into it and, and Corey's laying on the floor with a buzz saw and he turns it on and the guy slips and goes head first into the buzz, buzz saw. Uh, like, sure, we don't see it split open, but I mean, I was not expecting any of this kind of stuff. Like he kicks the main villain out of like a four story window to his death. Just incredible stuff. To your point, though, I think that confirms that this dude just wanted to make an action film, right? Yeah. Because yeah. he totally could have that head splurting out, you know? He totally <laughs> could have that. He could have totally, when the body hits the floor, like the limb splatter or something, he could have totally put some boobs in the movie and made it an erotic thing, right? But he was like, no, I'm sticking to action. 
like it yeah. feels again, I'm not comparing it to Terminator 2, but I just watched Terminator 2 recently. It feels like Terminator 2 inspired violence as well. Right. And I think all that extra money for gore and maybe extra money for nudity goes to explosions and the car chase in the opening and more explosions. Like when he fucking sets the school science lab on fire and they have that giant explosion and the movie's called Demolition High. You bet your ass they blow up the high school at the end of the movie. Now, it may be just like a really cool model, but I don't give a shit. (laughs) It's fucking great. Like it just this movie just delivers. Like, and I didn't even know I was waiting for this package in the mail and it just like fucking showed up in my house. Um, One of the lines I had early on when the, after the terrorists take over and the cops show up and, and Helen Thicke shows up, he has this line, like, except for the Empire State Building, I feel like I'm back in New York. Chaos, (laughs) potential for bloodshed. At least there, I could get a good cup of coffee, and like I, the laugh track would come <laughs> in my head, like from growing pains. Like, uh, you know? and later he gets that good cup of coffee. Right? Yeah, like, the guy brings in the, but it's also like, you, oh, man, you got to hear it like Alan Thicke too. And like, I mean, I've been known to do better impressions, but he's like, you know, he's like, huh, all those visitors the Empire State Building. Yeah, yeah. He almost hears it like booby booby boo, like doing like a little like song thing after, or like Carol. But, <laughs> like later he says. Because there's a nuclear weapon involved. And, oh, yeah. And yeah. La- later he says, this would make Chernobyl look like a weenie roast. And again, <laughs> I just pictured the laugh track in my head in the background. <laughs> so can we talk quickly about, or, you know, extensively, whichever, because you mentioned the missile. I need to get a little deeper into the weeds on the whole sort of uh, plot, not plot, but like the little details of the bad guy's mission. If you know them, please let me know because I was confused. Okay, so here's what we know for sure is that they stole a missile in the opening and the cops chased them around the city and they took refuge at the high school. And when they're on the line with the FBI and Alan Thicke, they're like, hey, we're we're a militia. We want all the government, we want the army, the navy, and, every, and the air force. Like, We want everybody to disband and give us all your weapons when we're going to run the country now. And uh, (laughs) that's right. Like he says that, right? Yeah. He's like, we are the new America. I wrote down their name. We are the FPM, the free people militia is what they call themselves. I'm sorry. Um, You can't control a whole nation by capturing 10 high school students. (laughs) He also says later, the bad guy, he's like, if I believed in luck, I'd be a libertarian. Yes. What? What? Um, He said I would have voted libertarian. Oh, voted. Okay. Well, I get, yeah. Sorry paraphrasing stupid (laughs) later so like the idea is like okay so we don't even get their demands okay he's like you have two hours to clear out or we're gonna start killing kids and they need that time to get the rocket guidance system working which they have stolen from a army base to point in theory in theory to point at a nuclear plant, which is like, whoa, how did that happen, first of all? That's a movie in itself. <laughs> yeah, that's like a John Travolta movie, Broken Arrow or something, right? <laughs> like, they've, they've got a hot nuke. And they've also wired the entire building in case anyone tries to stop them. They're going to blow everything up in a blaze of glory. And 
as the movie goes along, we find out, yes, they are actually not going to blow up the high school. They're going to shoot this missile at the nuclear plant in the town and, and destroy that. But we still don't know why. And some guy runs in and has this theory that... Um, it's not even his theory. He just is like not being nonchalant about it, the guy. He's like, hey, this town, it's never a... You know, nothing really even happens here. The only thing we really have is that plant where we destroy money. Yes, that's it. They have the Federal Reserve incinerator in their town. So they send all the old money there to get burned. And they're like, but why would anyone steal that? It's got serial numbers. And Alan Thicke's like, you think anyone gives a shit about serial numbers? <laughs> he doesn't He doesn't curse. I had to add that because <laughs> my line reading. And he's like, you know, they don't care about serial numbers. So apparently it's now Die Hard 3 yeah. where there's this big distraction so that they could steal all this money. But like the terrorists never say a goddamn word about any of that. Like it's never brought up. It's never, as far as I can remember, it's never part of negotiations or anything. He just keeps saying, you're going to see bodies if you don't, you know, back off. And they throw the principal out the window after he's been shot. Like, it's like that stuff is why this movie's bad. You know, it's like that kind of stuff that just is like, why, why have, what is this? Like, Come on, like I just feel like you could work this out a little better, and that's the stuff that like really started driving me crazy. They don't need to be trying that hard. <laughs> like this is way too elaborate. The only hint we get that money is involved is when like the main dude and the badass chick are talking, and they're like, "Let's cut everyone else out so we can have a bigger piece right. of the pie." But right. they don't say exactly what their plan is. It's just that they're going to get a bigger piece of whatever money they're going to get. And it's crazy, too. Like, if you kill most of your team at that point, you still have to, with your nuclear hazmat suits, which we'll see later, you okay. still have to, in a high radiation area, go to this incinerator thing and load up the truck with money. Now with just two people, right? Why isn't the movie just the money heist? Just go break into that place. Well, I guess they, that's the thing they were going to do, maybe. They were chased to the high school. So it's all like they got sidetracked on their mission, maybe. That's kind of funny if you think about it. Like an, Ocean, an Ocean's Eleven type thing, but on the way to the gig, they get like trapped in a high school <laughs> surrounded by cops or something. I mean, I'm happy they wound up in the high school because we got to talk about this glorious, glorious Corey film. Yeah, but how much cooler if there was something in the high school that they wanted? Like uh, something buried deep beneath it or someone, one of the one of the students was like a dignitary son. Like if Corey wasn't just the chief of police's son, but he was like, you know, a prince that was stashed oh, there <laughs> you know, to, to study abroad. He's the prince of the Bronx. Hey, yo. <laughs> um, you already mentioned them, but let's talk like the big uh, set pieces. And one of them is one of the science labs where they, Corey lets out that, I guess it's gas, right? And literally blows it up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 the science lab in high school, you know. I mean, that's what's so great about this movie is they play the entire school as a character. Like you could say that the high school is a lead character. Um, you know, like it's in it that we see everything from the auditorium to the gym to the science class, the shop class. And uh yeah, he goes in there and they turn all the gas on, which I can't believe they let us play that much with gas as kids. <laughs> yeah, you have that blow up and it's intense. 
you already mentioned the saw and shop class, but I have to say the moment where I was like, what the fuck? When the badass girl and Corey end up going one-on-one and she's chasing him and she chases him into like the art room. Um, she's already knocked a bunch of people out, even on her own side at this point, because as we said, her and the main guy have a plan to sort of take the money themselves. And he, she chases him into this art class and Corey Haim has a fire extinguisher and <laughs> and she has a gun, this badass gun, and she's basically going to kill him. And, you know, she's almost like, you know, don't you dare with a fire extinguisher. And he lets it go. And calligraphy pens come out of the fire extinguisher and stab her to death. Yep. Game's over, Lenny. Are you going to come out like a good little boy? Or do I have to come in there and get you? Promise you won't hurt me? I promise. You know, some I find that hard to believe. Come on, lady, you promised. You were right, Lenny. My fingers crossed. Now say goodbye. Well, the old saying's true. The pen really is mightier than the sword. And again, it's not a really bloody, but it's like what the hell just happened? <laughs> yeah, it's definitely MacGyver kind of shit. But that's what I loved. It was like almost like a uh, it was almost like a game show or something where like he had to figure out how to kill somebody with the materials in each of these different rooms, you know. So he uses the stuff, you know, that you would find in shop class, you know, like the buzz saw. And then here he's in the art room, and I don't know if kids know about those you know ink ink calligraphy ink pens and things like that like i almost forgot about them until i started you know uh studying comics again recently and and inking and and stuff like that i mean yeah we're beyond the point of suspending disbelief already so why not just go with it like i lost my mind when he set some guy on fire and blew up half the school uh and you know we have terrorists shooting the principal in front of everybody and like it's just wild stuff happening the whole time. So yes, it, yes, it's very cheesy and corny because it could never happen. But I loved the sort of degree they were going to at this point late in the movie. And Mike, do you remember what he says when the calligraphy pens kill this girl? He says, the pen really is mightier than the sword. <laughs> he also at one point actually throws a motherfucker out there. Oh, okay. I think I missed that. Like, when he walks into one of the areas where the terrorists are, he goes, freeze, motherfuckers! I'm like, whoa! (laughs) Whoa, that's intense. You rarely get an MF-er in a movie. There was a great moment where he catches the guy fixing the guidance missile, which they're just leaving completely on guard, (laughs) unguarded. And he goes, and the, the lady, like, ninja lady comes in, and he puts the gun to the dude's head, and he's like, drop it lady and she just blows the guy away like yeah. that is pure verhoven type stuff like the squibs are going off the blood's flying everywhere that was wild is there anything you want to talk about before we talk about the big ending oh uh, yeah yeah so i actually think what they did really well in this movie is 
the kid relationship stuff. So I love how they set up his rival. They kind of stay behind when everybody's told to go to the auditorium because the terrorists are there. They're not told it's terrorists. It's like everybody who's around after school during like intramurals, they're doing basketball, they're doing cheerleading and all this kind of stuff. They're like, everyone come to the auditorium. And two of the kids stay behind the makeout at the gymnasium and, and, and they don't get caught for a while. And later Corey like runs into them and he's like, we got to get out of here. We got to get out of here. And they're like, yeah, right. And, and the other one's like, oh, I don't know, maybe. And sort of slowly they all become like this little team for a minute and trust each other and kill people together and bond. And the one guy who started off as kind of a dick becomes his friend. And then he ends up getting caught and shot in the leg. And Corey and him have kind of like a heart to heart at the end. And he gets him out of the school before it explodes. Like, I really was kind of surprised that that was um, like, I'm definitely not going to say elegant because (laughs) but like, but like that that was woven through here so well. And like, that's one of the parts that wasn't an issue at all. Like that part of the story plot whatever you want to call it like the mechanics of all of those things work almost best like to be quite honest like there's nothing going on with a lot of these bad guys they're just they're just cannon fodder for Corey to murder uh or for them to get murdered by their own people like the joker clan or something like that like they just take each other out for a bigger piece of the pie so i thought that was really cool you know i like that i like that yeah, it was interesting, right? So that guy ended up surviving. I was going to ask you that. The, mm-hmm. Okay. Because I do have questions later. Because the only thing I'll criticize about what you're saying is, like, when did the girl catch feelings for Corey? I don't know that she necessarily did. Well... Uh, I think it's... No, well, you know what it is? I think it's one of those speed situations <laughs> where you kind of saw that her boyfriend... Is like a, a bit of a sniveling coward, and this other new kid is being very brave and heroic. And by the end, he's like, "Hey, Dad, meet my prom date. I think we're gonna need you to get us a limo and that kind of thing." And I didn't. I thought it was more of just like a. I didn't. I didn't buy that they were necessarily gonna be together. I thought that was just sort of like a celebration kind of thing. Well, at the end, he's like, "We're going to prom together. I need a limo and stuff like that." Yeah. I mean, they might be going to prom together, and it might be. I think it's going to be an outdoor prom this year, son. <laughs> well, we'll have to tell everyone why if you haven't seen the movie. So, in, in the end, Mike, you already said it. He throws the main villain out the window after, you know, a, a pretty a pretty decent fight. So the main villain sneaks everybody up, every, all the remaining hostages up, with some of them wearing hazmat suits, um, because. When the nuclear fallout happens, I suppose he wants some of them to survive. I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I think it's just sort of like just to set up what we're going with here. Corey somehow gets his hands on one and sneaks up there with them, reveals himself. They that's when they like fight or whatever, and he tells everyone else like, "Get out of here, run!" If you notice the girl in this scene, like the main girl we're talking about, the high school girl. She doesn't run, nor nor help him. Yeah, she just stands in the back of the class, like, cowering. Like, not even cowering, though. Like, watch it again if you can. She's almost just, like, waiting for her line to happen, you know? Quite possible. <laughs> I was like, help him or leave. So the only reason I think they're wearing those hazmat suits is for the stuntmen. 
so that they could oh, switch between idea. stuntmen for the fight and they could have a stunt guy fall out that window. Yeah, because he throws him out the window. And do you remember what he says here, Mike? Um, no. He goes, school's out. Oh, God. <laughs> I definitely think they were taking off Die Hard with these lines, right? Because, like, no, Die Hard, like, John McClane has so many great lines that if it wasn't Bruce Willis and it wasn't awesome and it wasn't Die Hard would probably come off as corny. Like, someone said to me once, imagine Steven Seagal starred in Die Hard. How dumb of a movie would would it be? (laughs) Well, I I mean, the only thing this movie's really missing is, like, a person of color to be a cop. Like, that's kind of what keeps it from being official Die Hard, Well, you know what I was waiting for? I was waiting for the friend, well, not the friend, the bully, Right, the kid you mentioned that they like he makes amends with. I was waiting for him to be kind of like the bearded guy in Yeah in Die Hard, right? I thought he was gonna be like, Yeah, I know Lenny. He does reveal Lenny's name, but it's under duress. He's not like yeah, yeah. he's not like, Yeah, I know Lenny, uh I can get him to you, you know? Like I thought that was really gonna happen and it didn't. Wow, it's wild that scene though is there in a version of it, is in this. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the only thing that doesn't happen is um, Corey never runs into the bad guy, and the bad guy never pretends to be like a substitute teacher who's lost. <laughs> also, that would have been crazy. <laughs> and he like gives him the gun. He's like, "All right, sub. Like, you know how to use this thing?" And he's like, "Of course I do." And then he turns it on, and he's like, ha, "You think I'd give you the bullets?" After the big explosion, we get our. Uh, walk off into the sunset ending. But I don't want to skip the big explosion. Why did he blow up the school? Oh, so what ends up happening is he goes to stop them from launching the rocket, but they shoot at him because they think he's a terrorist because he's wearing the hazmat suit. Uh, So he runs back downstairs and grabs the, I guess, the targeting or the, the launch device off of the dead guy on top of the car. He grabs that, but if he stops that, it's going to trigger the bombs in the school. So he ends up stopping the missile mid-flight before it hits the plant, but the school, it causes the school to explode. Which is insane. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's so great when he's running out of the school and the and the military guys, like the SWAT team, come up the stairs and he's like, Hey, hey, I'm a good guy, I'm a good guy. And they're like, What's going on? And he's like, he's like, This place is just strapped with TNT and he, and he points and they show like maybe like one of the only shots we get to see of like the C four device. Like yeah. on the, and it's like right there on the stairs, as if like the SWAT team wouldn't see them like if they were all throughout the hallways and stuff, like they're supposed to be. So good. A couple notes I actually had on that was exactly what you said, seeing the C4 finally. Because I didn't, I thought they were bluffing. I didn't believe that they had rigged the school. I should have because it's demolition high. But <laughs> I don't know. Because, again, we didn't see evidence of that anywhere. But, nope, it was rigged. Um, but also, like you said, the missile does get launched. And we get an effects missile shot, which I, I thought was interesting. I didn't think we would get that. Yeah. I thought he was going to stop the missile. You know, I didn't think it was going to launch. But then again, the school had to explode. Like, uh, yeah, I should have known better. <laughs> Chekhov's title of the 
fucking story. <laughs> like it's called Demolition High. It's yeah. gonna get demolished. And it does. But also, they were so close to that high school where they were standing. If it truly blew up, they would also all be dead from just, like, projectiles and stuff, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. He throws, like, two or three people into a van. <laughs> the van wasn't going to be incinerated. And <laughs> It is ridiculous. But, yeah, we do get our ride-off into the sunset moment where he just puts his hand around the girl, talks about going to prom, and the dad's like, oh, you can get whatever you want now. <laughs> That's one of the two shots I never thought we were going to get in this movie were this. So so for sure, I didn't think Dick Van Patten was going to show up on the set and interact with anybody because we first see him. It's like on the other end of a telephone and he's talking to Alan Thicke and then he actually shows up and he's next to Alan Thicke. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, two sitcom legend dads. I bet they had like an amazing time on set together in this insane, crazy movie that I didn't expect. I was like, oh, for sure. Like. There's no way they got him for more than a day, but they did. And then I never thought we were going to see Alan Thicke and Corey Haim in the same shot because it's not until like the very last shot that they actually share a scene together. And it feels like one take. It feels like Alan Thicke being like, all right, I don't know if this kid's going to stick to the script. So he kind of just repeats his lines like Corey. I, it, that's how it feels like Corey said something and Alan Thicke will like repeat it before saying his line just to make sure like, he heard it right or something. It seems like there's an improv instinct <laughs> kicking in and Alan Thicke's head is like spinning. And then after uh, he like, you know, Corey's like, hey, we're going to we're going to go to the prom. Catch you later, dad. Uh, that's when he turns to and does like the amazing final line. Kids. Uh, but, I mean, that's that shot is just insane. Like the two of them together. So, so cool. The only other thing I had in my notes that I missed was there's that moment where they're shutting down the power in the school. Oh, my God. And they, they call, like, the power plant. And I forgot the guy's name, but there's just, like, a dude next to a lever. And they're just like, oh, yeah. dude, can you shut it off? He's like, all right. And he shuts it off. And then they realize it's a mistake because the, the terrorists are like, if you don't put the power back on, one of the kids is going to die. And... They call him back like five minutes later. Like, could you put the power back on? He's like, really? Okay. And he puts it back on. It's like, it just felt unnecessary. You know? He's like, you're not going to believe this. Don't tell me. Back on? <laughs> yup. <laughs> like, like, it's so hard what he did. He flipped the lever. <laughs> <laughs> he was on standby. I know. It's really funny. Like, there's a lot of fun sort of uh, like prop signage and things, you know, because clearly they weren't shooting at any electrical plant or any. <laughs> any power plants or anything like that so there's all those like warning signs and says like toxic area or stuff or radiation zone and things <laughs> just to remind you of like the the looming thread of all of that going on uh there's a there is a terrific poster in the principal's office of a guy skiing and underneath it just says attitude um so like one of those inspirational posters from the 90s that were really hot a Love lot it. of times you know you'd see like a picture of a waterfall and it would say like imagine or something like that so that, that was fun yeah just just insane just insane the stuff with like turning the power on and off definitely wish that was something else too because like you said like it it it's a non thing. Like it, they turn it on and they turn it off. Like, I don't know if that was supposed to be a joke. 
But the one thing I did enjoy about that is it kind of opened up the world a little bit. So there's one good scene when they first call the power plant and they talk to the guy and there's like, there's a problem at the high school. And he's like, hold on a second. And he's like, tells his secretary to call his wife and he won't get back on the line until he knows his kids are safe as if like he's going to help more if they're not or something like it was such a weird little moment that made me just like look at this guy like what a jerk like what is he what like i don't know if you picked up on that but, like, i, I was, did i just I didn't know where it was this movie i didn't know where it was coming from i was like what like you know like it was just like if that was yeah. a cameo by someone i knew maybe it would be funny but it was just like what are you talking about? You know, like it just, it just felt weird. Yeah. And why weren't his kid, some of the kids in the school, like that would have been way more dramatic. Like, what is that? Like who, <laughs> I don't know. It's just weird. It's just, it's just, it's just odd to me. Like that this even takes place after school. Like I've really like, that's, that's crazy too. Like how can't this just take place during the day when like the whole school's loaded? I guess they couldn't afford to do that, you know, but that's the actual, that's the version that you need like that's the blockbuster one that makes money that has like you know rob lowe in it a couple of years ago or at least when he was a teenager i don't know you, you catch my drift though right like i feel like this movie sort of like even though they're still making diehards um is at the wrong moment <laughs> <You know? laughs> like it it's picking up on sort of a tail end instead of like the prime of something two other uh, uh bits of trivia you mentioned this off air and I think on air, but there is a sequel, uh, Demolition University, apparently. Oh, yeah. I was reading a little bit about it. For whatever reason, it does not uh, mention the events of Demolition High, even though Corey Haim plays Lenny Slater and it's called Demolition University. What? <laughs> so it's just like some alternate Earth where... It just happened later to him. Or he just like, <laughs> he doesn't want to mention it, you know? I don't know. It, it says college students on a field trip encounter terrorists planning to poison the city's water supply. Okay. I, have to, I mean, I have to check it out, but I would check that out. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I need to know. Same director? Or? Different director. Kevin Tenney is the director. The writer is the same. Man by the name of Steve Janokowski. Okay, well... You know, Kevin Tenney's no slouch. I don't. I didn't know him by name, but I've seen a lot of his movies, too. Same kind of thing? Yeah, kind of like Night of the Demons, which is amazing. Witchboard, you know, Demons 3, like some crazy horror stuff, sci-fi, action. Another one of those kind of, gotcha. I guess, like more extreme filmmakers of the time, I guess. And the other fact that I found nuts was that this is a movie that I've covered in podcast form. You've covered in podcast form. And I don't know if I'll ever have the time to watch again. It's a great movie, but it's just an exhausting movie. And that's uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's Magnolia. You're familiar with it, of course, right? Absolutely. Apparently, it references Demolition High a couple times. Like, some some of the actors in the movie want an audition for Demolition High. Uh, it's mentioned two or, two or three times. I'm like, what? And it definitely went over my head because I didn't know this movie existed. So now I feel like I need to rewatch all three whatever hours of Magnolia to try to catch this little reference. Because what? P.T. Anderson's always surprising us. And I guarantee we're the only ones maybe to ever talk. Well, no, because it's in the IMDb trivia. But I don't think most people get that reference. That's wild. But again, like he put a 
Transformers the movie reference in Boogie Nights. So like, I don't put it past him. I, I, I hear in interviews like his tastes are all over the map. Like he watches Marvel movies, he watches art films. So yeah, that's I'm sure he's got just like a wealth of reference. And I love that idea <laughs> of putting sort of like, just like a, uh, not even an Easter egg, but just like a little like filler of something like something that you are aware of that you love that maybe if someone catches and turns them on to something and then they, it leads them to this. Good on you. Like, that's like a treasure hunt. <laughs> you know, <laughs> This is the pot at the end of the rainbow for y'all uh, Magnolia files out there. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if people who really, really like Magnolia are going to like Demolition High, but give it a shot. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so let's get to our questions and awards. First, Mike, who is this movie made for? Oh, man, apparently me. It's weird because I would say it's made for kids who are too young to watch Die Hard, but they're too young to watch this also. (laughs) So I, I guess if you ever wanted like a Die Hard prequel, this movie's for you. You know, the adventures of young John McClane, <laughs> something like that. I, I I really do feel like, though, you know, I've never heard of this one and I'm a big Corey Haim fan and I thought I'd known them all. And I know a lot of movies that are considered bad, but are actually quite enjoyable. And yeah, just I'm shocked I never saw this on a list of like best of the worst or anything of that nature, uh, because, yeah, it it. I feel like it could uh, contend with a lot of movies like in this range, you know, it's a, it's really entertaining and I, I enjoy it a lot more than a lot of other movies like trying to do stuff like this. So, and, and it's got a Corey in it for crying out loud and Alan Thicke. So, I mean, that's fair. I, th- I think that's accurate. I mean, I'm not sure who the audience is, but also I think the audience now would probably be just VHS people, you know, people who collect VHS like, I could see this in Larson's collection, our good friend Christian Larson. But you know what's crazy? It's like, this is almost like worthy to be on how did this get made or, you know, something like that because of the gratuitous violence. <laughs> I cannot overstate enough how incredibly violent and just crazy this movie gets. You know, people getting gunned down like left and right and like extremely i don't know it it talks of like you know they got the kid hostages and they're gonna start killing kids and stuff like this is very extreme i feel like it plays more extreme now uh because of the state of our country (laughs) with with you know high schools and and incidents and things i mean uh, columbine's 99 so it's not far after this where we'll get to that yeah that's a line in the sand you know like this is definitely one of those pre-Columbine type things that, yeah, I don't think anybody would uh, would imagine that this is out there right now. Like this is ins- this is crazier than you than you could possibly think. I think I I don't think when you see this movie on the shelf, like this is what you think you're gonna get. Like I would have thought this would have been soft PG thirteen kind of action and kooky and jokey, and he'd be way less murderous and <laughs> not like a trained killer. So I was I was very surprised pleasantly surprised all right most likely to succeed which character won the movie character mike i know i know i know i know well it's a uh, i guess lenny wins the movie you know because he single-handedly beat all these domestic terrorists and saved the day and yeah 
you know, England. Yeah, I mean, who else could you say, really? <laughs> I mean, Alan Thick. I guess. His dad. <laughs> his dad being like, I got one hell of a son. <laughs> I don't have to worry about him. All right, Wooderson Award, is there a character here you would have liked to have seen more of? I don't know. I, I, I kind of wish that the security guard at the high school lasted a little longer. I kind of wish maybe I, maybe Mr. Vogel. I wish he had lasted a little longer. I was very shocked when they shot and killed him. But then again, he did jump after the dude and go for his gun. But I really thought that they were going to save him to be the first hostage that they, you know, throw out a window. I didn't think that he'd already be dead when they threw him out the window. I thought that that's how he would go. So... And I also like that actor a lot, so I wish he was probably around a lot, a little longer. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good call. I would have probably said General Wainwright, Dick Van Patten, but like you said, he actually does come back. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we got the moment you said, uh, which is Alan Thick with Corey Haim. We got a surprise moment of Dick Van Patten being there. So, yeah, I mean, the, the principal's a good choice. All right, Long Duck Dong Award. Is there a character whose omission would make the film better? This might sound bad, but can it be like that? Can we get rid of the dead mom character and like all that confusion and everything and maybe just chalk it up to like a divorce or something else? Because like that really it's so left field that it is. I mean, it, it adds to the crazy nature and jarring sort of story backstory stuff to this, but it's just they never flesh it out more. They don't know what to do with it. I wish I could vote for that character because I don't really, I don't really know. I don't really feel like there's anybody here that needs that. That's like overstaying their welcome. Yeah, it's such a quick movie. It's so focused on its main character that it's really hard to say. But you know, I actually like that idea, Mike. Like, let's just kind of streamline that aspect and a lot of stuff, really. Yeah. A heist we need we need more like bad guy talking about like internally this is the real heist we need that, <laughs> we need that. cameron fry award <laughs> i think this one will be fairly easy to answer did anyone look too old to be a high schooler Corey haim yeah yeah <laughs> T- 10 years is way too long to play a high schooler a teenager um, look, we see 25-year-olds play teenagers. It's on the older end. Alan Ruck was 28, 29. But it's harder when we see you at 15, Corey, playing a high schooler. And then we see you at 25, 26 or whatever playing a high schooler, you know? It's hard on the eyes. <laughs> Absolutely. This should be interesting today, Mike. This should be interesting. Of course, I'm handing you the red pen and the manila card. We have to grade the film. Oh, man. A plus to F scale. And it's how you feel. I know, I know, I know. There's a cheat sheet, <laughs> but it's an incomplete cheat sheet. Rotten Tomatoes did not get enough critical opinions to give it a critical score. 35% by the audience, but it's not a lot of people who know this film, you know? Not a lot of uh, voters there. And on Letterboxd, 2.7 out of 5. Also not terribly popular on letterboxd um only 500 people on letterboxd watched the film you know some movies have thousands of people who watch films so this was not one that got a lot of play around even though it has a sequel which is weird (laughs) (laughs) well i mean it directed 
VHS sequels were <laughs> not rare. <laughs> 78 people, you know, they play that game on uh, Too Fast, Too Forever, where they say, like, is it oh, anyone's yeah. favorite? The hardest game in the world. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're not going to play that game, but 78 people are officially fans of uh, Demolition High and Letterboxd. Or, sorry, it has likes. Oh, I forgot to like it. I gave it five stars, but I forgot to like it. Whoa, so is that is that a little reveal for what your A-plus to F grade will be, <laughs> Mike Manzi? Um, I mean, that's voting with my heart, not my head, you know? Uh, like, I really took a shine to this movie because it was just not at all what I was expecting it to be. And I really quite enjoyed it. It's a lot of fun. I'm totally going to try and spread the word, like, watch it again, um, have it on. Like, there's lots of fun moments in this movie like that, and it is just out of fucking control. Like, it is just out of control. Like, it is, again, like, I mean, we've been t- we've been saying all night, die hard, die hard, die hard, but it literally feels like they forgot to change some characters to teenagers in this movie. <laughs> They're just treating everybody like businessmen or something and or some you know something of that like that like they they've taken over like a corporate building instead of a high school uh that is the way some people are act, are, are are sort of acting in this movie and like the terrorists and stuff too like they do not give a shit that these are teenagers and it's very jarring it's very jarring that there never is a scene where like any of the bad guys are trying to be like look like you're just kids. This is none of your fault. You're in the middle of like your lives are going to be crazy. And you'll look back on like, where's that scene where he's like, you'll all look back on this and write college essays about this moment. <laughs> like that would have been a terrific line in this movie. It definitely belongs there. But yeah, it's definitely has so many, like way too many shortcomings as far as like its production value and it's nonsensical. Uh, it's just, Alan Thicke, like I love him, but like so, like one of the one of the like greatest miscasts ever, here, you know, because uh, he does sort of come along with a laugh track, and it's definitely missing. But for what it's worth, man, I think like it is legitimately like a solid C action movie. Like I will be honest and not mess around and give it one of my like lazy a's or anything like that because i think like as a very as like a movie movie not even like a straight to vhs or anything i think it is it's pass it passes it totally passes this is a c this is a really fun schlocky action Corey Haim movie that no one knows is out there that everyone should check out so so sorry what was the final grade it's a c c it's a straight up just a solid c i mean that was my grade as well uh but i figured that you would give it more than that with your five star letterbox rating yeah yeah but i mean brian you know me on this show like i'm all over the place (laughs) as a teacher like that's why i can't grade and like yeah sometimes i i don't know i just feel like this movie deserves an honest opinion as opposed to like giving it more of my you know, thinking, you know, again, being more like, oh, I like it because it's bad. Like, it is a bad movie. Like, I don't want to give that wrong impression. (laughs) Like, it's not a good, it's not a quote unquote good movie, but I'm having such a blast watching it. So I think it'd be a fun midnight movie, a fun party movie, something like that. Like, put it on while you're tailgating to go out for the night. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. So three people gave it five stars on Letterboxd. Only one of them has 
favorite films marked and a profile photo. Name the four favorite films of this one person who gave it five stars. Oh, is it me? <laughs> it is you. <laughs> so I have to tell you my favorite films on Letterboxd right now? Do you know them? Or, like, do you put... I don't have a Letterboxd. I only talk about it. You put what your favorite films Oh, are? yeah, yeah. You put them there, so... Do you remember what you... No, I know my favorite. Okay. Yeah, so <laughs> Planet of the Apes and The Matrix. They live in The Nice Guys. Correct. They've been there for, like, three or four years. I think I put The Matrix up there around Christmas time, actually, so... I feel like that checks out with your love of this movie, though. That's why I bring it up, right? Like, <laughs> it's got a little They Live. It's got a little The Nice Guys, right? It's got a little The Ma- I don't know if it mm-hmm. has... I mean, it has Planet of the Apes-esque things. Not really, but... It's a fantasy. A fantasy, yeah. <laughs> or it's a, it's a moral a morality tale, a morality like allegory. Tale. <laughs> <laughs> what does your Demolition High sleeping bag look like if you and I are, for whatever reason, having a Demolition High slumber party? I mean, it's definitely... A denim one with plaid denim probably has like holes in it so I could put my sleeveless arms out <laughs> when my when I get too hot. That kind of situation probably. Ooh, ooh, that's a good one. Damn. I don't know. I, I struggled with thinking of what to do with this one. Oh, I, I got a perfect one for you if you want me to bring one along. Sure. It's the hazmat one. Oh, duh. Easy. That's great. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. The classic hazmat suit sleeping bag. <laughs> All right, the best and most favorite question every week. Mike, if you and I were in the magical blockbuster that is every movie that has ever existed in the history of space and time, you know, we're going to rent Demolition High for our slumber party today, but we see a sign at the counter. It says, rent two movies, get one free, and I say, yes, let's do it. Let's make it a triple feature evening. Mike, go to the back, get two other movies that we should watch with Demolition High, what two other movies go with this rental triple feature? Okay, so I went, I just I went very mainstream tonight. I realized I I should have dug a little deeper and got a bit more Corman, I suppose, but I couldn't help myself. And it's just two movies that this movie made me think of immediately. The first movie is from 1993, and it's called Demolition Man. Ah. It is not. It is not part three of this series, <laughs> although. Although, man, for 1993, we sure had like a, a wild vision of the future, didn't we? <laughs> I just remember every movie from the 90s that was set in Los Angeles dealt with the earthquake and like the earthquake was going to come. And like the world thought that California was going to split off from the rest of the country for like a good eight years there. <laughs> Never happened. But it did in the history of the movie Demolition Man. So I, that's a that's a crazy fun one. Straight up, full-on 90s, Sylvester Stallone, Wesley Snipes, Sandra Bullock, lots of fun, Benjamin Bratt, lots of fun. Yeah, that's a, I'm looking it up now. I've seen it like once. It's been a while, though. I love Stallone movies, especially of that era. I think I need a good Demolition Man rewatch, so great pick. Oh, yeah, the three seashells. Anyway, uh, and the other one is a movie that, you know, also when I think of this, I also think of, I, I think of Die Hard quite a lot. When I think of this movie, I also think of, man, Corey Haim would have probably been great in this if he was age appropriate. 1990s Home Alone. Yeah, I thought of that, too. It was very much like booby traps and this is, you know, the place I have and let me use what's around me. I love it. Yeah, and I'm defending my turf. and Right. Yeah, so good. So Home Alone, Demolition Man, Demolition High. 
Interesting. I love it. Great selections here. <laughs> well, we got through it, Mike. We got through another Corey movie. This is, as this is our first Haim one of the year, and not Haim, not like Alana Haim, which I learned. That's how you say it this year. There's there's three Haim, which I I now know because I'm like forty something. So like I didn't know Haim was even. It's Haim. They were even. Oh, it's Haim. Okay, I didn't even know that. Yeah, well, that, so well, that I didn't. Even... That's part of the joke. I didn't know that either. But while doing like the licorice pizza episode, of people, everyone correcting me, and licorice pizza getting big, and they're like, so, like, you know, it's Haim, right? I was like, what? Yeah, like Lahaim. Yeah, like Lahaim. It's Haim. No. So, it, but it's not Corey Haim. It's Corey Haim. Yes. <laughs> but yes, as this is the first Corey Haim film we've covered this year, wanted to just shout out that. Back in November, around Thanksgiving, Corey Haim was elected to the High School Slumber Party Hall of Fame. So wanted to just, you know, applaud the late, great Corey Haim and still find it a little funny that people elected Corey Haim and not Corey Feldman. And that definitely has to do with, like, <laughs> Feldman's, you know, the stuff he said recently for whatever. Yeah, yeah. And also I feel like the kind of, you give a, like, it's like the Heath Ledger kind of thing. Not that Heath Ledger didn't deserve the oscar for the joker but it's like the, po- the the after you you've passed yeah you know i feel like you're more inclined to get it first <laughs> that, that, that's a good thing but i mean it just is and uh i i would like feldman to get elected one day i'd like the both both Corys to take their place among the greats in the high school slumber party hall of fame i'd like to imagine if we had an official ceremony of course it was canceled due to covid but if we had an official ceremony that cory feldman would have elected <laughs> Corey Haim into the Hall of Fame, you know, he would have he would have read a speech for the late great Corey Haim. And honestly, I bring it up too because as much as I'm kind of making fun of him, I also am saluting him for being in this many teen films and just honestly creating a character for himself. And we found some gems. Like even though I think you liked this movie a little bit more than I did, I still liked this movie. And, like, I would have never seen it if we didn't do this project, right? Mm-hmm. I would have never seen Prayer, Prayer of the Roller Boys if we didn't do this project and a lot of other cool stuff. And I'm looking forward. I know they're not all going to be hits. I know some are probably going to be unbearable. But I'm looking forward to seeing some more of these more underground to Corey's movies and just, yeah. like, you know, maybe discovering another gem. Yeah. Look, he is likable. He has whatever it was that got him to where he was you know like that's a, f- a fact i don't know but like you know that's what they said about him and i believe it like you know i like actors like that that sort of find i don't know almost like a like a groove you know like i i, I enjoy him when he shows up and i see him in things because i almost feel like he's he's reliable like he's always going to come through with like a quirky joke or a weird line reading or do something have a bit of business you know, he seems like a guy who's always happy to be working and in the in the zone for the most part, at, at least in this movie. It's hard to believe that he was doing like lots of crazy drugs and needed a handler and things because he's in almost every shot of this movie. Like he is really in this movie and he feels like he wants to be in this movie and he's like doing this movie. So I, I'm looking forward to the rest of this, too. Now, you know, I know we talked off air earlier in the year. I might have brought up once or twice on air even how I was getting Corey fatigued. But like, I am right back in the saddle, baby. Like, I am I am in this now. Like, if more of this kind of stuff might be popping up, like, I am 
I'm so down. I think the key too is behind the scenes, we're kind of doing one a week. You know, we're kind of pacing ourselves with Corey Films. Last week, mm-hmm. last year, we did like two or three a week sometimes. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what we were doing. It was, we were punishing ourselves. Well, just to be honest with you, Mike, I didn't realize there was this many, you know? And then last year, at the beginning, I was trying to do them all, where I thought that we could schedule them all and just was impossible. So, again, we're going to have a three-year three-year Corey run who knows maybe more maybe there'll be a vault that opens like do you remember growing up or at least when you were younger and there used to be like oh this came out of the disney vault right or we're we're gonna put it back in the vault if you don't buy it right i don't know where the hell this vault is or whatever but maybe there's a Corey vault somewhere so who knows but looking forward looking forward to our next Corey film mike anything you want to plug uh yeah always so you know first and foremost uh the titular cage club show cage club with joey lewandowski and myself yeah it's the name of the network go check out that show where joey and i have watched over a hundred nick cage movies and counting he's got a couple coming out one next month i think so we'll definitely be getting together and putting out um another elvis podcast episode that we do joey and i do lots of shows together go check them all out on cageclub.me brian here is my unofficial co-host on my show called third times a charm the third of every month i look at the third installment of a franchise so recently uh we've been doing spider-man stuff and uh brian was on for uh, spider-man uh far from home we did a crazy crossover episode with kyle Uh, i'm sorry no way home we did an episode with kyle for that that was a lot of fun and i do a show with dan cologne called the monsters that made us it's the last Friday of every month, and we're looking at the original Universal Monster movies. We're going in order. We're checking all those out. Uh, once a month, last Friday of every month, check all that stuff out, cageclub.me. On to our next Corey project. Looking forward to it, Mike. I don't even know what it's going to be yet, but we'll have to, I'll have to do some research, throw something at you, and we'll take it from there. But I, I, I almost guarantee it's going to be something we've never even heard of. So thanks, Mike. You're welcome. Thank you. Oof. Big thank you to Mike Manzi, as always. I might have said this last time, and if I did, I apologize. But just because I think about this a lot, there is nobody more qualified to talk these films with me than Mike Manzi. Well, I don't know about qualified. I'm sure there's scholars in the art, but there's no one I'd rather do it with. That sounded weird, too. But whatever. You know what I mean. He's great. He's so passionate. He shares the passion for the weirdness with me. So thank you, Mike, once again. And trust me, you'll hear from a lot of him this month and next month. (laughs) Speaking of which, your homework. Going to try to crank out another Corey film we recorded. Another Corey Haim film, if you will. And if you're a Fast and Furious fan, I'm not going to tell you why. But you're going to enjoy this film, I think at least. And your homework will be to watch Fast Getaway. A few tips on how to make it in the fast world. I'm here to change the twin. I like a man with money. Please, everybody! Always be at the right place at the right time. This is a real bank robbery, trust me! Never sweat under pressure. We're surrounded. 
Nice move, Pop. Real nice move. Girls. I know, son. Girls will always be girls. Let me make sure that I have everything right first. Oh, that's great. No, go ahead. Go ahead. First gear, second, third, and reverse. This first. And this is second. <laughs> you gotta find a girl with a soft, gentle touch. Women, boy, women. Always dress for success. Hi. Can I help you, miss? Yes, you can. You should always be prepared for lights, little surprises. Right Webster Town Jail ain't gonna stop us. No how, no whip. Never take any unnecessary risks. You ready? Go. Hold, hold. Piece of cake. Piece of cake. And always leave yourself plenty of room for a fast getaway. That was an awesome trailer. So much Corey Haim in that trailer. I know this is an audio podcast, obviously, but do me a favor. YouTube it. Look it up. Look what Corey looks like in this trailer. It is awesome. Can't wait to talk Fast Getaway with, of course, Mike Manzi, my partner in crime on this Two Corys series that we're doing. Phase 2? I don't know. 202? (laughs) So tune in for that episode tbd (laughs) i'm trying guys i'm trying a couple more things i want to mention class participation huge part of your grade love the social media feedback i've been having some good conversations it's been a little slow because of all the other things i've been talking about but still hit me up facebook instagram twitter love that remember my personal twitter is oh my rodriguez just type that in and that is me i don't say a lot but i hope to say more. Let's see, looking through my notes. Oh, apologies. In that episode, you heard a rainstorm in the background. I tried to take it out as much as possible, but hey, I live in an apartment. There's not many places for me to go that are soundproof. You're going to hear things sometimes, like my dog. Both my dogs, but it's usually my little dog, Henry. He's the loud one. <laughs> but we love him anyway. Woo! One more thing before I let you go. Remember that life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop, look around once in a while. You could miss it. Brian, you should take your own advice sometimes. But nah. The people need, the slumberers need high school slumber party episodes. Unfortunately, once again, could not find another song for Demolition High from the soundtrack because it's such an obscure movie. And I already played the WWF theme for Demolition. That was my only idea. But I got another idea while YouTubing. Alan Thicke is in this movie. The Growing Pains theme song is a classic. So shall we exit with that? Yes. Yes, we shall. Later, dudes.
It's over. Go home. Go.